and thank you for listening to Ask the Pastor, a segment of the West Hills podcast where you have the opportunity to ask and receive biblical answers on your questions from our lead pastor, Will Duvall. I'm your host, Allie Keaton, and I'm really excited to dive into our question this week. This week's question comes to us from Candace, and she asks, Pastor Will, a few weeks back when you were introducing communion on Sunday, before the plates were passed around, I remember you inviting all baptized believers in Christ to the Lord's table. I've never heard a pastor make baptism a prerequisite for communion before. I know at West Hills, we don't believe that baptism saves a person. It's God's grace alone through faith alone. So why make it a requirement for communion? Well, first of all, thank you for that great question, Candace. And I want to begin by affirming the most important thing that she said there. At West Hills, we do not believe that baptism uh, saves a person. It is indeed by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone that we are saved, not by works, not even the work of baptism, lest anyone should boast, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. So this idea of baptismal regeneration, that somehow there's something salvific in the baptismal waters themselves in performing a ritual, that is patently unbiblical. Uh, baptism does not and cannot save a person. Now, that being said, let's turn to her question, should baptism be a prerequisite for communion? And I think the answer to that is yes, and I'll give you six reasons why, and then I'll close with a little bit of a plot twist at the end. So reason number one that I think one ought to be baptized before participating in communion, and this is the most important reason, so I'll spend the longest on it. In 1 Corinthians 11, verses 27 through 30, Paul warns the church in Corinth against partaking in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And here are those key verses. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have even died. So the obvious question for us is, what does it mean to eat and drink in an unworthy manner? Now, in the immediate context of 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is rebuking the Corinthian Christians in verses 17 through 22 for being divisive and selfish. And here are those verses. In the following instructions, I do not commend you, Paul says, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one of you goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. And so... Paul then concludes chapter 11 by again admonishing them. So then, my brothers, whether you come together to eat, uh, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. Now, at West Hills, I think we have to ask, are divisiveness and selfishness the only ways that one can be guilty of eating and drinking in an unworthy manner? In other words, as long as we at West Hills are not blatantly playing favorites in church, or taking multiple crackers on the front row and leaving no crackers for those on the back pews, then are we okay? And I think the answer is no. I think that there is a a larger interpretive principle underneath eating in an unworthy manner here, and that is this, that we ought not to approach the Lord's table with conscious, unrepentant sin in our hearts. Uh, 
Now, let's be clear, every Christian has got sin still at work within us. First Corinthians, or sorry, first John 1 8 says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Uh, if only non-sinners were invited to the Lord's table, there would be a lot of leftovers every Sunday. So the issue is not whether or not you've sinned. The issue is whether or not you have knowingly sinned and whether or not you've confessed and repented and turned from that sin back to the Lord. The Bible does not make room for the existence of conscious, unrepentant sin in the heart of a believer. Hebrews 10 Verses 26 and 27, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. First John 3, 9, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Romans 6, 2, How can we who have died to sin still live in it? And so at the end of the day, reason number one to be baptized before taking communion is that baptism is a commandment of Jesus. Matthew 28, 19, Make disciples, baptizing them. And so even though you may be saved, if you have not yet in obedience followed Christ's command to be baptized, Acts 2, 38, Repent and be baptized, then I think that we would have to consider that approaching the table with conscious, unrepentant sin in your heart. And so Paul clearly warns us that the Lord's table is not to be approached lightly. Reason number two for being baptized before taking communion is that that is the normative sequence that we see throughout the New Testament. Step one, repent and believe for salvation. Step two, be baptized. And then step three, begin participating in the Lord's Supper, and the other church community functions, worship, fellowship, etc. This is the standard pattern throughout not only you know the book of Acts, but elsewhere. But let's just consider Acts chapter 2. Peter preaches the first sermon post-crucifixion in uh, verses 17 and through 39. He presents the gospel, and then we hear him say, and with many, uh, we hear Luke tell us, and with many other words, Peter bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation, so those who received his word, in other words, those who repented and responded in faith and were saved, step one, those who received his word were baptized, step two, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, and then we hear in verse 32, and they devoted themselves then, step three, to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And the breaking of bread there would include the Lord's Supper. So reason number two is there are no New Testament examples of someone who is unbaptized being included in the Lord's Supper. Reason number three, uh, theologically and ecclesiologically, I think we ought to understand baptism as a believer's rite of passage into the body of Christ, the visible church here on earth. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 and 13, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So what is baptism? It's not only a symbolic dying to self in order to be reborn with Christ, but it's also a symbolic birth into a new community. Baptism is our initiation right into the church, the body of Christ. 
And similarly, the Lord's Supper is a reminder of that new identity in Christ, a participation in the body and blood of Christ, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. But it's also, verse 17, a communal meal given to the church as a reminder of our unity in Christ. Paul says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So, communion is a family meal for the church, and baptism is how we know who's in the family. And I'm not talking about West Hills, I'm not talking about local church membership, I'm talking about belonging to the capital C church. If you are baptized as an infant, which at West Hills we would not view as an actual baptism, but rather a baby dedication that happened to involve water, or for that matter, if you were baptized even as an adult by a church that did not preach a biblical gospel, then you too ought to be baptized as a sign of your faith in the true gospel and as a sign of your entrance into the community of faith. Reason number four, ignoring the importance of baptism before participation in the Lord's Supper significantly reduces our number of baptisms. So if I told you, for, for example, there was a process for joining my volleyball team that included standing up in front of the rest of the team and announcing your love and commitment to volleyball in this team. But you know what? If that's too embarrassing for you, if you're too shy, then that's fine. You can still come practice with us. You can even play in our games. Well, then why would we have that process at all? I mean, if you can join the team without it, then, then why would you do it? Similarly, if you can take communion and serve in leadership roles in the church and function in every other way as a member of the team without ever having joined the team, why would you do so practically? Reason number five, baptism provides an extra safeguard against someone who re- might otherwise receive the Lord's Supper in the most unworthy manner of all, specifically as an unbeliever. While not everyone who is baptized is truly saved, many who would otherwise take communion just to fit in on a Sunday might be warned against doing so when we add this qualifier. Baptism provides a tangible protection for unbelievers who, for whom knowing whether they've trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior, yet that might be a nebulous, uncertain kind of thing, but, but they should know whether or not they've been baptized and dunked as a believer. And finally, reason number six, the vast majority of the church throughout history, including especially Baptists, have affirmed that the Lord's Supper is for baptized members of the church only. And while tradition isn't finally authoritative, unless there is a compelling biblical reason to break with it, I think we ought to take seriously the weight of church history. So having said all of that now, here's your plot twist at the end. I have stopped using that language in inviting only baptized believers to the Lord's table on Sundays. Why? Well, because after discussing this at length with the elders, we all agreed there are lots of ways that we can eat in an unworthy manner. You can be baptized as a believer and be living in an immoral sexual relationship with no intention of repenting and eat unworthily on Sundays. You can be baptized and look at porn every Saturday night before church on Sunday with no intention of stopping and eat unworthily. You can verbally abuse your wife on the way to church every Sunday morning in the car with no repentance during the worship service once you get there and eat unworthily. There are millions of ways to eat in an unworthy manner if you have conscious, unrepentant sin in your heart. So for that reason, we haven't restricted the table less for this past month or so. We've actually restricted it more. We've encouraged everyone to check our hearts before eating hastily. If there is any conscious, 
unrepentant sin there. The refusal to be baptized, lust, slander, pride, gossip, envy, malice, hypocrisy, greed, anything. David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. Psalm 139. That's why we search our hearts, so that we can confess and repent and be led back into the way everlasting. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And at the Lord's Supper, we are reminded simultaneously of just how sinful we really are, that this horrible thing had to happen to make us right with God, that we should feel the full weight of our sin at the Lord's table. And yet, paradoxically, we're reminded of just how forgiven we are, that his blood can make the foulest clean, his blood availed for me. He's washed me white as snow. And so, church, I want you to know that we have no intention or desire to police the communion table at West Hills. We, we are not and we will not be checking baptismal certificates. Uh, that is ultimately between you and God. But we will continue to warn you against eating in an unworthy manner and conscious, unrepentant sin. Search me, O oh God. That should be our prayer every Sunday. And that includes being unbaptized. And so, I want to end by just giving one last, you know, not last, I'll keep doing it, invitation. If you would like to be baptized, don't wait. Call me today. Email me today, and we will make that happen this coming Sunday or any upcoming Sunday. Don't wait. Thanks, Pastor Will, for a great reminder. Praise God that through His grace and help, we can put off our old self and be raised to new life in Christ. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Ask the Pastor. Remember that you can ask your questions each week at the info bar at West Hills or by submitting them online through our website at westhillssdl.org. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already. And thanks for listening.